How many of you were here the last time when I ministered here last year? So that's good. So some of you already know me. Those of you who are here for the first time, God bless you. Welcome. For the first time, me preaching. <laughs> Put it that way. I'm always a slow starter with my sermons and then I start to get excited. And then when I'm excited, people don't really understand what I'm saying. <laughs> my wife, Kathy, just stand up. She's the love of my life. Just look there. She's uh, such a blessing in my life. So this morning, um, I just want to thank Mark and Valerie for this opportunity. Me and Kathy planted the church up in Minneapolis, and then we realized, okay, we are not ordained in the United States. And <laughs> I was ordained in Canada and moved here to the United States, and God called me here in a miraculous way. So we begin to think, who will we go to that we can get ordained? Because it's a very small handful of really grace people that think the way that we think and understand the Bible the way that we understand it. In the same way, we also wanted to be at least ordained to people that got character, you know, and uh, people that really love us and stuff like that. And the only people that could come up, I mean, we got a lot of friends. We got a lot of pastor friends all over the state and, and connected to ministries. Mark and Valerie, they're in the first place people of character. How many of you agree with me on that? If you're not, you've got to go home right now. But, and in the second place, they are just people who love, and they are true pastors, and a pastor's heart, and they are such a blessing, generous people, and we just love the two of them very much. Like my friend Colin Knox said this week, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about that. So, <laughs> um, we just love them, and we are very blessed that they do it. As I thought, man, just do it over the phone and send our papers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because every Sunday we are busy. We just planted the church and it's growing. We're very busy. They went out of their way. We really thank you guys for that. They went out of their way to have a meeting on a Saturday. Who wants to come to church on Saturday? So then I just want to say to you, you guys who are here really want to be here. So that's good. So we're going to have an awesome meeting. Amen. And we just appreciate the fact that you guys do that for us. So God bless you so much. Amen. So... I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to go into the Word of God this morning, talking about character. My friend Shane Brian Halsgrove, he's in South Africa. He's a young man who plants churches, but he is one of the very few people that I know in this world. He went to Albania for three months. He left his church, and when he came back, his church had been growing. What pastor can leave a church for three months and come back and his church had been growing while he was gone? That just shows you that he can really establish leaders. He can really, really establish. He's very, very good at that. But he made a statement this morning that touches my heart. He says that the gift that you have draws people, but your character is going to keep them. Isn't that powerful? The gift that you have draws people. So you can have a gift and draw people, but if your character don't line up, you're probably going to lose them. <laughs> That's why Paul talk about, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and then he talk about love. It's more important. You guys agree with me on that? It's love that keeps us together. Isn't that powerful? That's not my sermon. I'm just bring, throwing that in there for you for something to thought about. But what I'm going to preach on this morning, I call it divorced and remarried. <laughs> this is the title of my sermon this morning. Divorced and remarried. Wow, that is something amazing. Can we do that? Turn with me in your Bibles 
I'm going to give you three verses to bring this together. The first verse I want to read to you is in Ephesians 1, 7. Ephesians 1, 7. It says in Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now here's the first statement. The word forgive in reality means to be divorced. <laughs> Woo! When you were forgiven, you were divorced from sin, from sickness. You were divorced from the curse. You were divorced from poverty when you were forgiven. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? That's what really, really happened with you. You were divorced. You were divorced from the nature of Adam, the old Adam, the first Adam, the old man. You were divorced from that. Now, if you go with me to another verse, and that's in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to just pull it up here on my Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. I, I'm not 100% sure where the verse is. So that, let me go into my Bible and you will get it. Does that mean anything? Is that a good start this morning? That's what Jesus did for you. He divorced you from those things. Now listen to this. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 56 and verse uh, 57, he says this. He says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Okay, I want to say it again. The strength of sin is the law. Okay, so you can be divorced. Jesus has divorced you once for all. But you can be influenced in your mind by the law. That you go back, that your mind is darkened, your spirit is perfect, created in the image of Jesus. You're absolutely complete. But you can come and sit under the ministry of condemnation. Did you know that the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians 3? He says the ministry of condemnation. It's a ministry. People can minister to you condemnation. And when that happens with the law, they begin to stir up in your soul and in your mind thoughts that you think again you're a sinner, which is a lie. You're not a sinner. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, now, but here's the good news where I want to take you this morning. Jesus divorced you from sin once for all. The ministry of the law or the ministry of condemnation can darken your mind again that you go back in your mind being polluted, corrupted in your mind that you think you're a sinner, you're not good enough, you're not living up to the standard, and you become frustrated you begin to live in fear. Okay. But here's the good news. Romans 7. Turn with me to Romans 7. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says here in verse 4. Romans 7, 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you might be married, say married, to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit unto God. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something this morning? They can use the law, they can use condemnation to influence you again. But reality check is, you are married to the one who is risen from the dead. You are dead to the law, you are married. You know what married means? That means you are in covenant with that person. Covenant means oneness. That's what it means. So when Jesus rose from the dead, you become one with Him. The moment you believe, you become one with Jesus. You are in covenant with Him. And here's the reality. You have been divorced to sin, 
and divorced to the curse, the sickness, the disease, and you have been married, made one with the one who is risen from the dead, who keep you holy, blameless and perfect in the presence of the Father, not because of anything that you have done, but because of everything that He has done and because of His obedience. Hallelujah! That's the gospel. Are you guys with me? So I can bring this message back to the reality of what it's really called. We can call it the cross and the resurrection. That's basically my message. Because the cross divorced you and the resurrection made you alive and made you one with God. You are this morning through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You are one with Papa Father. You are one with Daddy. This Right now, right now. And this moment. I'm not living in the future. I'm not going to go into 12 steps. We have one step. The revelation of Jesus Christ in you. Hallelujah. Are you guys with me? And that makes it so powerful. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Electricity. I don't like electricity. I don't like working with electricity. Because I don't know what I do. But every time I have to do something with electricity wires, I got shocked. How many of you have been there? For some reason, I will touch the wrong things or touch the wrong little screw, even if I have screwdrivers and things, and then don't understand how things work there and shock myself. Now, here's what is interesting about electricity. When I was a kid, the first time I was shocked, I saw this bulb was out of the lampstand. And I look in there. <laughs> I was about five or six, and I put my finger in there, and I didn't know the thing was on, and it shocked me. And I will never forget that event. So I try to avoid it. So we were doing renovations in our home. And Kathy's dad, my father-in-law is helping me. And uh, he's doing all the electricity, all the wiring. He's doing this. I stay away from it. I don't want to come close to it. And he told me, he said to me, they said to me, there's one wire that we brought from the box all the way through here. And this wire, he's sitting here, Peter. Don't worry about these two wires standing here, out of, coming out of the box. He says, there's no life to them. I haven't hooked it up to the main board yet. Okay. So we go on with renovations. So finally, we come to the place that we now plaster the walls and stuff like that. And work on the walls. And I see, here is two wires standing like that. Oh, that's the two wires from dad that he told me about. This is the two wires. There's no power in it. It's fine. It's okay. And I touch them. There I go. And it was not those two wires. It was two other that we lost. The two little plugs that you put on, we lost that somewhere in the process. There I, and I was like, oh, I hate that feeling. Now, what I want to say to you, it, it can be actually a good feeling. The cross and the resurrection, the cross is like the negative. If you work with power, with electricity, you need to bring a negative and a positive together to get light. Isn't that true? Okay, can I say it again? You need to bring a negative and a positive together to get light, amen, or to get power. The cross is the negative. Say negative. The resurrection is the positive. Hallelujah. You bring the two together, you got power. That's why you can't believe or preach them separate from one another. The cross deals with everything negative in your life and took it out of the way. The resurrection deals with everything positive in your life. This is where you are now in Christ. You bring it together, you got power. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Before I go into that, my friend Paul White, he um, preached a powerful sermon on the cross, uh, how Paul brought the cross back into life. I remember the first church that I planted in South Africa was in my barn on the farm. 
and it was just uh, like ordinary laborers on farms and stuff like that that would come out on a Sunday and we had church. We actually drove long distances with pickup trucks and little vans to bring them to church and pack the place out, preach the gospel to them and stuff like that. We had to work with an interpreter. And what is interesting, one Sunday after about a month, I said, Jesus, you know what? There's nothing happening in this church. I was young and vigorous and I just wanted to see signs, wonders and miracles must happen. You know? I said to Jesus, there's nothing happening in this church. Every Sunday we pray for people, nobody's healed yet. And nothing happened yet. So the Lord just dropped in my spirit that morning while I was praying before the meeting about the cross and the resurrection. And, and when I walked to the church that morning, when, before we start the meeting, I said, these people are not listening. These people don't even care. And I wonder if they even understand what we are saying to them. And I said, Father, this is the last Sunday that I minister here. I close the barn down, there will be no more church. Can you believe it? Very arrogant. But I was young. I was very young. This is now like 30 years ago. <laughs> anyway, that morning, I preached the gospel, preached on the cross, preached on the resurrection, make an altar call. And this one lady that was in our church, she was quite big. Her knees were swollen. I'm not trying to exaggerate, but it looks like two soccer balls standing there, like honestly. And when I saw it, I don't even have much faith. <laughs> so I just lay my hands on her and the meeting was over. And I say to the people, this is the last meeting. I'm not going out next week to pick up people and stuff like this. this is it, you know. And we get away from there. We go home. People went home. Some people were really disappointed and stuff like that. I was just like a bull in a china shop or something. But anyway, the next Sunday I was sitting outside on the porch and I saw there's people coming down the road. I looked, and this lady that I prayed for was right up front with a whole gang of people behind her. And they were coming fast. And they stopped at my home and they said, you can't close the church. She says, look here, when I arrived home last Sunday, my knees were healed. I get it now. She says, I get this whole thing that Jesus is risen from the dead. There is life and power in him. We were in business, man. I'm telling you, church is back on the go. And I just want to say to you this morning that it doesn't matter what is right now negative in your life. Mark make a real powerful statement here this morning. You says that failure is just an event. It's not the person. And you this morning, if you are in a situation that you have failure, you have something negative going in your body, it's just an event. That's not the person. The person is you created in the image of Jesus Christ. You already got it all in Christ. And you got to understand this morning that through the cross, you've been set free from that thing already. What you need to do is focus and meditate on the resurrection. Another guy up in Alberta, he had also knee problems. I don't know why he's on the knees today, but he also had knee problems big time. He worked with heavy equipment, machinery and stuff, and his knees were swollen in pain. And he basically going to lose his job the way that he was going with him. And he, one day he went home. And he go and lie on the couch and he begin to meditate on Jesus on the cross. He just meditate on Jesus on the cross and he saw Jesus. Then the next moment he saw Jesus come out of the grave, glorious man. And Jesus says to him, I'm not on the cross anymore. The cross have taken it away, but I am risen and alive now. And that moment the revelation hit him. He was healed. He arrived the next morning at work, jump up and down in front of his boss. His boss said, you can't do that. It's not good. He says, I'm healed. I'm healed. Jesus have healed me completely. I want to say to you guys this morning that the cross and the resurrection is real. 
and it's powerful and you can be set free from whatever is holding you back in life this morning. Now, my friend Paul White, I draw this from one of his sermons where he preached on the cross. He says, writes a powerful, he's a friend of Mark and Valerie too. He's a very powerful teacher. So I have to give him the credit for these things. And he explains how the early church have not seen the cross as victory. And here is his points that he makes. And I'm not actually put it exactly the same as him, but this is me. Today we have the theology of the cross, but those days they did not have the theology of the cross. And here is the point. For the people in those days, the Jewish people, when they see a cross, the cross was a symbol to them from the Roman Empire. It was a symbol of oppression. It was a symbol where their people were punished and their people were killed. It was not only Jesus that hang on a cross. Lots of people were killed on crosses. Those days the Romans used that to punish the people who rebel against them. So to them, it was never a sign of victory for the early disciples. For instance, for them, they were killed by the empire, the Romans. Okay, so that means that the empire uses the cross. And when they look at the cross, it is used for criminals. Are you guys with me? You have committed a crime. That's why you are hanging on the cross. So the Jews were standing and watching and to them it was blasphemy when one of their people were killed on the cross. So to them it was negative. Even after the resurrection of Jesus, they did not refer to the cross. They say, you killed the Lord, but the Father raised Him from the dead. They didn't see the positiveness that is in the cross. Are you guys with me? And they just preaches the resurrection. That's what they did. But what is interesting, Paul, the very man who persecuted the church, Jesus appeared to this man, and this man got the revelation, and he bring the cross out back into the light, that they must see that the cross is not a place of defeat, but it's actually a place of victory. But it doesn't end at the cross. The resurrection and the cross, you bring it together, you got power. Are you guys with me here this morning? So what is interesting here, you will see that after the resurrection, the Bible says here in Acts 2, that Peter was preaching, and he says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord, and great grace was upon them all. But they never look at the cross. And here comes Paul. Here comes Paul. I love it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, here comes Paul, and Paul say the following words, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I think if Paul never did that, we probably never had the theology of the cross. Because the early church apostles never preached on it. But Paul saw the full gospel when he looked at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to take this further. Say to the person next to you, it's going to get good. Hallelujah. So what Paul did is he bring the cross out of darkness into the light. Amen. And the outstanding of the message of the cross is it is finished. When that man died on that cross, it was the end of sin. It was the end of sickness. It was the end, hallelujah, of the curse of poverty. See, the cross is like a filter. How many of you got swimming pools? There's not many swimming pools right here in Wisconsin and Minnesota and places like that. I had a swimming pool in South Africa. Hot places we have swimming pools. A lot of people have swimming pools. 
A swimming pool got a filter. And with a filter, when you clean the pool, dirty water is going inside on the one side of the filter. On the other side comes clean water out. The cross works exactly the same. On the one side, everything from the old covenant is coming into the cross. The curse of the law, the strength of sin, which is through the law. <laughs> the poverty that come because you are disobedient. All your disobedience where you don't deserve to be blessed. All those things come into the cross, into the person of Jesus Christ. And on the other side, it comes out. And you know what's happening? The negative stay behind and the positive come out on the other side. So with other words, the sin stay, the righteousness come out of the grave. Are you guys with me? The sickness stay, healing come out of the grave. Are you guys with me? Poverty stay in the cross and riches and blessing come out on the other side. Are you guys with me? Rejection stay in the cross, acceptance come out of that grave. And we are joined to that because here's the reality what I want to give you this morning. Is that the resurrection don't stop with just a man coming out of the grave. The resurrection stopped when that man sat down on the right hand of the Father. Because the Bible say in Hebrews 10, while the priests were still standing. That means they are not resting. Are you guys with me? While the priest was still standing, doing sacrifices in the tabernacle and doing the works and the elementary things of the law, while they were still standing, man was not free. But this man, Jesus Christ, he sat down. That means the work is over. That means the law has come to an end. Now, I want to say to you something. The law got a purpose. I don't want to throw it out. It got a purpose. The law was not given for you to obey. <laughs> you can try, but you're going to run into some huge trouble and frustrations. Are you with me? The law was given so that you can see you fall short. The law was given so that you can see you are not good enough. The law was given so that you can come to the end of yourself and fall on your knees and grab onto the Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, thank you that you set me free. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Come on, guys. We are not living on that side of the cross. We live on this side of the cross. The water is purified. You are swimming in clean water. Some people's pools are polluted because there's something wrong with the filter up here. You guys still with me? You got to filter it through your mind. Whoa. But this man sat down. Now, you know what is interesting about this man? His name is Jesus Christ, my hero. You know what's interesting about this man? This man, when he came out of that grave, he said to the disciples and to the people, Do not touch me, for I am not with my father yet. He said, Do not touch me, for I am flesh and bone. He don't say I'm flesh and blood. Did you know that Jesus came out of the grave and he's not a spirit? He's a man. It's a body. It's really important that you see this this morning. Because there was something missing in the Trinity and that was in the Trinity was the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it was spirit. <laughs> God is spirit. Are you with me? And we were excluded from that. And God wants fellowship and unity with you. So God become a man. And God died. And God rose from the dead as a man. There's a reason in that. As a man he rose from the dead. 
Oh, I love this. Right now, on the right hand of the Father, on the throne, sits a man. A glorified man. Which is flesh and bone. Can I tell you why? Because if there was not a man there, we had no reference for transformation. Because we are human. So in the Trinity is a human. <laughs> Come on. There's a man that keeps the covenant and keep the covenant for us. This covenant is not working because of your obedience. It's working because of his obedience. Are you with me? My obedience is different than his obedience. His obedience is, I have fulfilled the law. I have obeyed what my father has called me to do. I have set mankind free. I've delivered mankind from the destructive of the old corrupted first Adam. And I have set mankind back into the Trinity. And he was obedient for me and you. And he kept the covenant. The only obedience that I have is I'm walking in the spirit. Because God is living inside of me. I hear his voice. I'm not trying to live up to a standard to please God. No. Because Jesus is the standard. And he keep me there. Perfect in his presence. Ah, oh, come on people. That's the good news. Amen. It's not me trying to live there and me trying to keep the standard. I cannot. Because just as Mark have said this morning, failure is just the event because we go through events. Some of you are too hard on yourselves. You got to relax and enjoy life. Come on, Peter. It's too much. No. Go skydiving. Are you with me? Go parachute. Go scuba dive. <laughs> Do something. Enjoy life. Amen. There's something that you need to understand. This gospel is not working for you as long as you're working. This gospel is working for you as long as you're resting. God stopped working when you work. He rests. <laughs> when you stop working and rest, He works. Because we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I love diving. I did the diving course with the military. And what is interesting is my friend said to me, Hey, we're going to go and dive. It's a very hot day up in uh, Nova Scotia. Really nice day. We went down to Peggy's Cove. Four of us, we're going to go and dive. I'm so excited. I haven't dived for a while. I don't have a dry suit on. I got a wetsuit. I thought that's okay. A wetsuit is so much warmer the moment you begin to work in that thing. But anyway, here we are going. And when we arrive there, next moment the guys begin to dress up. I said, where's the boat? They said, no, there's no boat. I said, what? I said, how are we going to get there? And all I see is like rocks, long distance of rocks. Then the water begins and there's rocks and stuff. I said, so how are we going to go and dive? She said, no, we're going to walk from here to the water and then we're going to swim until it's deep and then we're going to dive. And immediately I know this is not good. Because in the first place, I am positive buoyant. Do you know what it means to be positive buoyant? I don't sink easily. If you're negative buoyant, you just go down like that. But I'm positive buoyant. So I float. <laughs> so I must have 50 pounds of weight on me. I got on my belt alone, I got 50 pounds of weight. And then I got all the gear and everything. And now here we walk. Now, it's not walking. This is climbing through rocks and stuff. And I thought, this is ridiculous. We could have just rent a boat, go and then tip off the boat. There we are, we go. So here we are now. Finally, we are at the water. Now I'm already sweating and I'm out of breath and I'm not fit as I'm supposed to be. So now we begin to swim. Now we swim. <laughs> God, we swim and swim. And, and when I, when it comes to that we have, now we're going to dive. 
I realized I'm out of breath and I am not in a good place. So I tried and I couldn't go down. And I go out and I show the guys, no. And I pull that thing off my face. I thought I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm out of breath. I'm sweating. My one friend, he's a doctor. And he come to me and he look at me and he says, you're okay, Peter. He says, the only thing you need to do is turn on your back and float and rest. So he said, I will stay here with you. So he just, just float, get your breath. So I was floating and floating on the water, just lying on my back like this. Get my breath back, relax. And while I was lying there, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. He says, Peter, you know what? The spirit world worked the same. You are floating right now between two dimensions. The one underneath is another world that you cannot see. How many of you dive before? If you dive, the first 10 feet, you don't see really much. And the next moment, you break into a new world you've never seen before. Man, it's beautiful. If you stand on this side of the water and you look down, you can't really see. You will now and then see there's a fish going or something. But if you dive, next moment, you see a beautiful world. And he says to me, Peter, right now, you are floating between two worlds. And that's how the spirit works. He says, if you want to go down and see that world and experience that world, you got to rest. You got to come into a rest position. So after I've relaxed and rested out, I put on my mask and I turn around and there I go down and float down. I don't have to work hard to get down there. I just float down. Finally, I was in that world. And that's exactly how it works. If you want to function in the spirit dimension, you got to rest in what Jesus has already done. You cannot work to get there. You cannot work to get there. You are resting. So here's how it works. Through the cross, the work is done. It is finished. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? And through the resurrection, you've been made alive and you share in everything that Jesus has overcome and conquered this morning. Now, right now, we are not preaching a becoming gospel. That somewhere in the future you're going to become something. You already have it. Only one thing needs to happen. The filter that's up here. Where we filter stuff through in the mind and art. That's where things need to happen. You gotta filter the water that runs through your heart and your mind. And you gotta dissect it and say, that is being dealt with and done away with. That's not who I am. Jesus has taken it upon himself on that cross. I am not a sinner. I'm not sick. I'm not cursed. I'm not in poverty right now. I share in everything. The event, the circumstances can tell me different, but that's not who I am. I have it in the spirit and I'm resting in him. And as I go along, these things will manifest. Come on, people. Some people now, in this day and age, don't like the word manifestation. I don't know what they mean by that. I mean, I know when a demon manifests. <laughs> Are you guys with me? But I know when good manifests too. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You may sit down now. Amen. Let's go on here. I got some more stuff to give you here. I, I'm almost done. I don't want to preach long this morning. It's Saturday morning. <laughs> Here's what the message of the cross, crucify Every thought that tells you what you do not have. <laughs> it crucifies every thought 
that tells you what you do not have. You have it all in Christ. It crucifies every negative thought. We are working from a position of victory. We are not working towards victory. Come on, people. That's what the cross has done. You are not fighting to get it. <laughs> you already have it. You just need to renew your mind. Hallelujah. That is the wisdom of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, when he come to the end of the message of the cross and all the revelation that we have, he comes down and he closes down and he says, we have the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ says, it is done. I already got it. There's nothing that I need to work for. This is who I am. That's what the mind of Christ is. My mind rests in what he has already done. My wife is really, last night we were a little bit into one another. How many of you are married? But we were into one another a little bit there. We had a little tough because she's a woman with lots of faith. And I can sometimes come out and explain things on diets and things and stuff like that. And all kinds of, you know, things. Don't do the keto diet. You're going to die. But anyway, I lost all my energy. <laughs> but I'm not into the keto diet. But we were talking. She's very strong on faith, very strong on certain things that is done. She just don't give an inch. All right? Doesn't matter what way I explain it. She's not giving an inch. Good illustration. How many of you know Napoleon? He was a conqueror, a war general. And, okay. So one day they were in battle. And Napoleon were attacking, attacking. And they see that the enemy is going to defeat them. That was coming in them. They were in trouble. Those days, they had drummers that play specific sounds. And the people in battle know the sound. So if they play the attack, then they know we must attack. When the sound on the drum changed, they would know we have to retreat, or we have to go left, or we have to go right. They were functioning on the sounds of the drum. And he said to the young man that was with him for a long time, play the retreat, we are in trouble. And the young man keep on playing the attack, keep on playing the attack. He says, I told you, play the retreat. He said, sir, I don't know how to play the retreat. <laughs> are you getting it? And he had, he keep on playing the attack and they won the war that day because he didn't know how. See, we are children of God. Our minds need to be so renewed that we don't know how to play the retreat. Are you guys with me? We don't know how to fall into defeat. We don't know how to give up into the negative things in this world. We just know one thing. It is won. It is overcome already. The victory is done in Jesus Christ. We don't know about defeat. See, that's the message of the cross because you are divorced from sin and the effects of sin and you have been married to the one who is risen from the dead so that you can bear fruit unto God. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. I love this gospel. It is so powerful. So, to be like-minded with Jesus. How many of you like? Paul say, I send you Timothy. Because he is like-minded. <laughs> I send you a man that thinks like me. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it powerful that the church can have a team and, and another church is struggling and Marcus contacts me and he says, Peter, I send you a man and woman that is like-minded. They're coming to help you. Hallelujah. Don't you think that's powerful? Huh? What does it mean to be like-minded? It means you think like Jesus thinks. I love this gospel. I love it. That means you are already forgiven. You are divorced from sin. You are already healed. 
you are already provided for. You are already blessed. You are already in a position of victory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <sighs> Carnal mind says, I agree with the circumstances. The spirit mind says, nope, I don't know how to play the retreat. You got it? Father, we just thank you for all these precious people here this morning. We thank you that each one of them is perfect, complete in you. And as Valerie have said this morning, they sparkle. Hallelujah. They sparkle. Thank you that you help the church that we begin to sparkle with this message of grace. This innocence that we have in you, Jesus. That we walk in the victory that you got for us. And we give you glory this morning. Father, I thank you for triumphant ministries. I thank you for this church in this community. I thank you, Father, as they preach, they begin to have a voice in this community that it begin to sound out all over. It begin to draw people into this life that has been ministered here, that they draw people into the reality of the freedom that we have in Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that this voice will go out of Mark and Valerie and the team that is with them and begin to affect people in this area, not only here, but all over, Father, begin to affect other communities, other cities, other places in the world. And we give you glory and we thank you for that. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.